All right, we're live. Yep, we're good. What's up, guys? John Sintos here, my man Cass Kreitlow, and special guest Taylor Ahern on the Cutter Nation podcast number 41. We got a special guest, Lance Wheeler. But first, don't forget to go out, subscribe to our YouTube channel, check us out on Instagram. We're always going live on there. New Vamp website. Uh, we'll be adding more apparel and some other stuff on there too, as well as blog by this smart human right here. Um, you got anything? No, I just wanna I wanna hear hear from Lance. Yeah, Taylor, so, you got anything? I'm all good. Dude, I'm excited right. to learn from from the master over here. So, without further ado, Mr. Lance Wheeler. Lance, how you doing, man? Good. What's up, guys? We're doing great. We're doing great. Um, so just start off uh, for the people who don't know you and the guys that do. You know, let everybody know uh, where you're from, uh, where you got started with this. A little brief history, and then we'll jump right into it. Yeah, yeah. I actually got started a little bit later than most. I didn't get into coaching college baseball until I was uh, 29 years old at a junior college, was there for a couple of years, and then on to Lipscomb uh, University in Nashville, followed by two years at Louisiana Monroe. Then I left college baseball um, and got into the pro side with a buddy of mine who's an agent, and uh, it's kind of led me to where I'm at now, which is at Huntington Beach, California, and with the core velocity belt. And with the core velocity belt, that was just – 100% by accident. My, I was actually using it as a babysitter. I strapped my little girl in it while I was doing lessons, and she puts the Jager band around her waist, slams into a wall. I got away without child abuse and ended up coming up <laughs> to create the, child, the core velocity belt. So that's where I'm at, guys. Awesome. Huntington Beach for everybody that's out there. <laughs> that's great. So um, you're, you're, from, you're from the South, right? Yeah, my accident didn't give it away. Yes, I'm originally from Kentucky, but we had, we've lived in Nashville on and off for close to 15 years before moving out here to Huntington last July. That's that's awesome. Are you going to the ABCA this year? Yeah, I try to make the ABCA every year. That's one of my favorite conferences, especially when it's at Nashville because it's such a big draw and it's just great to see everybody. It's right? like-minded yeah. guys that are just passionate about growing the game and learning from each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we do plan on going this year, so it'll be awesome to uh, shake a hand and, and get there in person and listen to you some stuff. So I saw you first, like I said, in 2015, uh, right? That was 2015 at the, or was that 2016? 2016 in Nashville? It's been, yeah, I guess it has, it's been three, oh. yeah, 2000, one of those two. I lose yeah, one of those two. I don't know what date is now, much less when it was then. Right, it's how far in, like how long ago did you create the core velocity belt? Uh, well, I actually created the first version back, goodness, that would have been 2006, it took, or 2005, it took me about 10 years of just trying it just to get it right. Uh, then it was released in 2015. So that's, yes, that would have been when I, that's when you had presented. Yeah, it was right, yeah. I had released it in January, and I believe I spoke in, in uh, Nashville in December, so it was about 12 months, 11 or 12 months after releasing it. So what, what problem did you think you were solving? Initially, I didn't know. Initially, I just knew that there were so many players that, that I saw. One thing that I saw was that the higher level players, whether it was a hitter or a pitcher, had one common characteristic, and that was the ability to move through the middle of their body. But it was really difficult for me to teach because often the biggest – obstacle in movement is just communication or perception on on how you're to move so to actually put the breadth or the depth of human movement into words was almost impossible so i was using a lot of cues and found that even though i'd give the same cue to the entire team i would get 15 20 different patterns so i wanted to try to put something to where they could actually feel it to understand it and then allow them to put it in their own words and that was really the ultimate goal of the belt I get your emails and I, I know that you explain that in many, many ways. So the, the center, I want you to, uh, can you help us understand more about what you said about moving through the middle or get yeah. more context to that? Great question. Great question. We're, what I'm really referring to, and really this, a lot of this stuff that I shared, so much of my philosophy came from Paul Nyman of setpro.com. And I'll give you a brief history of that. I spent so much time on his site because he just forced me. Paul Nyman at setprosports.com. Is he the big leaguer, Paul Nyman? No, no. He's an engineer physicist with no background in baseball. That's the guy that. Love those guys. Yeah, you're talking about intent to throw hard and so many of the concepts that are, are just well known now. 
this is the stuff that he originally created back in 1996. And I had never heard of him, but I met Derek Johnson when he was at Vanderbilt. And he said, hey, I highly recommend you check out this site. So I started watching it so much that, man, I was up to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning taking notes where I got accused of watching porn by my wife. If that tells you what kind of problem I had. So I said, yes, I'm watching porn, but let's just call it pitching porn. <laughs> he was the one that introduced it to me. So when you ask about the center, what I'm referring to is just the pelvis and it's the center mass. It's below the belly button and at the top of the thigh. It's not the waist. That's a mistake a lot of people make is they associate the waist and the pelvis are the same, but they're, they're just as different as the nose and a big toe. Uh, the waist has nothing to do with rotation, whereas the pelvis is the pelvis is the driver of human movement. There's not a move that we can't make that's not initiated in the middle of the body. And you hear a lot of people refer you hear a lot of people referring to ground force, but ground force doesn't start at the feet. It starts in the middle of the body because if we were standing still and asked you to say, hey, let's put some force into the ground. You couldn't make that move without the initial move starting in the middle of the body, working down and rebounding up, back up. So how I look at the middle, it's more like a fuse box. No matter how much I try to use the legs or how strong I am, if I can't transfer that energy and connect it to the upper body, all is lost. And there's a lot of studies now, and it's just showing that the more efficient that you can move, the, the more mobility, the greater stability and control that you have of the pelvis, obviously the distal segments such as the arm, they're gonna work more efficiently too, because really at the end of the day in a rotational sport such as baseball, your arm uh, is at the mercy of the hips. And that's the area that I see so many guys struggle because it's never a focus. Everybody's either focusing on the arm or they're focusing on the leg. And uh, it just creates a lot of problems. And then you think about our method of teaching. You know, we play a rotational sport. We're born to rotate. Yet, how many rotational cues can you guys think of right off the top of your head? It's, it's really difficult. We use so many linear cues such as reach out, get extension. And that's a lot of the problem that you see with movement and mechanics is just confusion. They're, they're man-made. It's not how the body would ever naturally organize itself had the player not been confused. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff right there. I loved the the explanation on on what you were saying with the uh, movement center in the pelvis, and because he and I go back and forth a lot of times about the ground force and the different things that we talk about, and where the brain processes and what you're trying to do with your body and and things from there, and and um, I love that what you said about the linear thing because that's something that he and I go back and forth at all and 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 um, all the time um, because well as you know, soon as as soon as I say. Cause I, 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 like maybe like six weeks ago, I, this is actually when you reached out to me, I was upstairs in the office and I had done some sort of thing saying like, you know, rotation is the primary mover. And I know that driveline has made that thing. But as soon as I say that, then people are like, oh, well then you mean this. And they assume something that is very negative when I say that. And like the conclusions that people jump to, as soon as I say that, um, I don't, I don't know. So it, it partly made me realize that we need to do a better job describing it, um, but also that we can't, that if people are not willing to listen and they're only going to hear us a certain way, there's really nothing that we can do. So I also appreciate that I hear you talking about all of the negative cues out there. Um, so how, it seems to me that you are using the belt to eliminate a lot of the, the, the cueing and, and that what I just described is that if we rely on only the way that we talk about it, the way that you were just talking, Lance, like you're very articulate, very intentional of the way that you're talking about it. But then you have people that have, are, are not invested in listening in the same way that you're invested in, in describing things. So in, in this world that we're living in, like your, your, your belt seems to be eliminating a lot of the, the need for us to rely on our lack of ability to communicate. Is that, am I articulating that well? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely, to me, the body speaks in, the body's native language is feel. The body understands feel, it's how it communicates. And uh, until a player can actually feel what you're asking him to do, he's never gonna truly understand it. So an example of this is each year when kids would come into one of my three-day programs, I would ask a common cue such as stay back. I would ask the entire, there's 20 kids in the camp, hey guys, what does stay back mean to you? But don't say it, I want you to write it down. And then I would have them turn in the piece of paper and how many different answers do you think that we had for stay back? 
There were roughly every, 18 every one 20, of them. Yeah, there were roughly 18 or 20 different answers. But the problem is that when I asked those players, do you know what stay back means? Everybody in the room raised their hand thinking they did. However, everybody thought of it being as something totally different. So that's why you run into problems. Hey, stay back. I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. My dad can beat up your dad. So that's what it it really runs into because at the end of the day, unless a player can actually feel it and process it and put it in his own words, he's just going to constantly rely on the coach. And that's when you get that, how that one look, how that one look. So pretty soon you start to look at pitching mechanics. It's almost like a a Victoria's Secrets runway model with cat calls and whistling. And I think she's prettier and she's prettier, but nobody's ever on the page so really the ultimate goal is just become your own coach and unless you can actually feel your delivery you've got tangible concrete proof it's just really hard to go back to it and then also i kind of look at feel as gps markers once the body can feel it it can go back to it and it just kind of navigates its course that way so the the feel thing i want to talk more about i'm you're you're saying so many great things i'm my brain is having a hard time processing all of it um (laughs) the you just John jump in. Somebody come in, and I'll and then I'll think about what I want. Well, here's something I thought that you right away. And this is key. Oh. You mentioned brain twice. Like that's where it starts with. It starts with the mind or the brain, and really feel like when you start to think about the hips and how they work, especially in our culture, um, where we're sitting all day, we're watching TV. Kids aren't riding bikes or skateboards, especially in the South where I come from. That was one of the big reasons why we came out here. People look at me like I'm crazy. Is the big reason is when I would come out here for business, I had to slow down through neighborhoods because kids were actually playing outside. They're riding skateboards or riding bikes. In the South, it wasn't like that. So what we're really with the cues and the today's traditional method of coaching is we're, we've disconnected the mind-muscle connection. And, and I call it, that's what I refer to as proprioception. That's just feel, it's kinesthetic awareness. And if you'll look at most guys, it'll come into programs, these programs, three-day programs, about 85 to 90% can't perform a simple hinge because they're not aware of their middle. And so that's another reason for the belt. As we pressure the hips, it works as compression. It grabs the brain's attention and lets it know exactly what's important. And, and that's the problem with so many guys is they can't feel their middle because they're not ever using it. And so you see so many guys that move as one piece and they just, they don't rotate very well. It all comes back because of that disconnection. There's not a mind muscle connection, but once you establish that mind muscle connection, that's when you start to see a lot of improvement because we talk about, when I think of pitching mechanics, I look at it this way. Pitching mechanics are nothing but a series of sub movements. That's all they are. Um, And it starts with pitching mechanics being, we're, we're trying to take these sub movements and we're trying to synchronize these into motion however most guys can't coordinate even the most basic movements with the hips because they don't have the proprioception levels or the mind muscle connection so that's where we start is establishing the mind muscle connection and then we just start to break it into small movements and once they can control those then we start to put those into motion and that's what we call pitching mechanics i i love that that was that was awesome um you you said something i know he's got something no i got it now Um, taylor's my backup here yeah all right you, you were talking about the yips, and I've actually, fortunately and unfortunately, witnessed probably 10 guys get the yips. And, and one of the most significant ones was uh, my play catch partner in Juco. And it started with a weird thing that I've never heard before, and he could not throw a baseball inside. And it was one of those things where the mind took over, like you were talking about. We went – it was a rainy day. I, I went to um, University of West Florida. And okay. so oh, – okay. Yeah, and so super, super rainy day. We get canceled. We got a big thing. Coach wants to throw a bullpen. So we go over to this other baseball facility. We go in there, and he was riding with me. And literally, we get out of his car, and he goes, hey, man, I can't throw inside. And I went, what? And he goes, yeah, I just can't throw inside. And I go, what do you mean you can't? And he goes, well, I, I just had a bad experience. And I thought, he said, I don't want to go into it. And I was like, all right, no big deal. So, of course, I make a mental note. When his bullpen time comes up, I'm going to go, all right, I'm going to go watch this guy. And uh, so I'm watching him and he warms up into a net, which is the first time I'd even seen that. I didn't even process like throwing into a net yet. Like that's something I'd never even seen online or anything. And this is where I'm 33. So this is way back in 2008, um, something like that. And so he starts just shuffle fire and chucking the ball into the net right before any catchers or anything. And our coaches kind of looking at him kind of weird. 
Then he proceeds to get on the mound at the very top, and the very first throw he makes, he throws a 92-mile-hour fastball about three feet in front of his front foot, plant foot, and bounces it straight to the ceiling. And I go, what is going on? Like, everybody's looking at him, and our coach kind of gets on him. And this kid had never thrown 96 before, but hits 96, skipping balls off the turf, and beats up two catchers. <laughs> and he's literally just – just, and he's shaking his head every time. And, and like, uh. our coach is going with the obvious sarcastic coaching that we ridicule all the time where he's yeah. trying to, like – get him to get out of his skin, but it's obviously not working. And he's just trying to like poke fun at the guy. And you can see he's just nosediving getting worse. And the kid just walks off, like literally walks off. And that was the moment that pretty much ended his baseball career. Like that moment, he had one more start like the next week and proceeded to go Rick Vaughn, like 12 straight balls and gets pulled out. And, and just, I feel bad for the guy, you know, and I talked to him years later and I'm like, dude, what happened? He goes, well, you know, I overthrew one time in a gym and it went through a window and then hit somebody in the head. And then like, you know, that was in the outside of this gym. And so it just created this big thing with me. And I tried to tell coach and he just didn't care, you know, and then all he did was just ridicule me the whole time. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, this isn't that hard. You can throw all day and stuff like that. And it just turned into a really big, bad situation. Um, for you, what's the worst yip situation you've ever seen? Well, there's a couple of things with here's something I've noticed with the yips. And, you know, I've coached, I played at junior college and then I uh, coached at Lipscomb. So let me tell you a little bit. First of all, I started off in a, in a junior college in central Kentucky. Let's just say it wasn't an academic school. The we actually had two players get into a fight one time on the field at practice because one said that Abraham Lincoln's beard was still growing. The other one disagreed. So they fought about it. But the cool part was I told our head coach, at least they were talking about history. Let's just leave it at that. So that shows you how smart some of those guys were. And then I go to Lipscomb, and, and this is a much more academic crowd. You know, we got the kind of kids that are taking tests that only have one question on them. So these are some academic kids. And so what I noticed was in junior college, uh, I never really had many kids with the yips. It wasn't until I got to the academic kids, the overthinkers, the analyzers, that I was introduced to the yips. And I've started to figure out, I've never noticed a dumbass that ever had the yips. It was, always the <laughs> kids. it was always the kids that were doing everything the coach asked them to do that suffered from the yips. So what I found, I think, so much with the yips is, number one, is they can't feel the difference between good or bad. But number two, they've got this block that they're scared that something bad is going to happen. So I think it's really cool what you just said. My process when I'm starting with a kid before I will ever, ever assess them physically, we've got a series of questions that we'll ask these guys that number one is if your career came down to one pitch, what would that pitch be? And the reason why I would want to know that is because let's say it's a changeup. This is a, if he believes it's his best pitch, what do you think he's going to do? That's something he's going to practice all the time. That's something that probably got him out of some big situation. So there's an emotional attachment. And because he's perform this over and over with such a high value emotionally uh, and such a high value in reward, his delivery is going to be patterned to throw the best changeup. So you're going to see the changeup guy that's going to be a little bit more linear. He's going to be a little bit more passive versus the guy that might say, hey, I want a fastball up and in, or hey, I'm a guy that can throw a 12-6. Because those 12-6 guys, if you've noticed that, anybody that throws an overhand curveball, they think they can throw that every pitch. It doesn't matter. You can't hit the curveball. Because you think with the curveball early on, most hitters struggle with anything moving. So they've had a high level of success. It's a pitch that they probably learned on their own because they had success. They were more willing to practice it because they practiced it. They were better at it because they practiced on their own. They were self-taught. So it's almost like this pitch is their baby. So if you go in and you just watch a delivery and you see that it's not pleasing to your eyes, I think you've got to first start off with, what are they trying to do? What do they do most consistently? Because that's going to explain the patterns that you're seeing versus just jumping in and changing somebody because it's not pleasing to your eyes. So knowing what their strengths are and what they believe their strengths are is very, very important. So I think that's where we that's where we always start. And I'd recommend that for everybody is get to know the person first, then start to assess the player, his ability. And then finally, it's the pitcher, which would be the skill level. But we've got a three-step process. It's person, player, then the pitcher. But to answer your question about the yips, most often if a guy struggles with the yips, like say he can't throw it inside, 
what we're going to do is we're going to practice throwing it inside and we're going to practice throwing it outside and often over exaggerate just so they can feel the difference because most often they just can't feel the difference. Yeah, that's that's awesome. The uh, uh, two things you said right there that were pretty awesome. One, we have it on two. We have two different shirts that we have that number one, don't think, just throw. And that's a yeah. funny thing that you said with that with right there, because you've never seen a dumbass throw, you know, like <laughs> think yeah. that's hilarious because that's that's why I started that whole concept. Don't think, just throw. And then the other one we have on there is live or die by your best pitch, which is exactly what we're saying with that. And, you know, Cutter Nation is actually a smokescreen for me, which is is really funny. It was a joke that was started by my catcher when I played in the Pecos League way back in the day, where we, right. had, we had a team we had a team come up to us in the middle of the game, or I'm sorry, after the game, and and two guys were questioning whether I threw 55 sliders or 55 cutters, <laughs> and they were like, "We don't know, but it's a bet. So can you solve this?" And my catcher jumped in because he's from Alabama, and you know this phrase very well, "Save a Nation." And he was all about it. And he just took it. And I said, I was going to steal it because he was like, now, nah, baby, cut her nation. And I was like, I'm going to have that. That's mine. <laughs> so it's funny that you say what pitch, because you also said, like, I don't know if I heard this correctly, but about the change of like, he's typically going to then like his mechanics will reflect that idea. Right. You said more linear, a little bit more passive. And I've been just learning so much from John. I'm a slider breaking ball guy. So I will come across like this. And we talk about it all the time. I just cut myself off and I don't need to, but that makes so much sense to me. So from my perspective, personally, like I need to understand these things before I'm willing, like when you say those things to me, I'm now able to, to take that and understand better what I'm already doing. And then I'm more likely to listen to you, right? So you talking about the person, the player, than the pitcher, like, Goodness, that's brilliant. So thank you very much for sharing that. I'm going to go live, too, and say with Taylor, what is your, like, if you take his question right there, yeah. what's your best pitch? Honestly, I just learned it two weeks ago, and I'd say it's the cutter, mm -hmm. honestly. Uh, I was always a guy that kind of, like, relied on movement, and, um, you know, my slider was always my best pitch, and then just learning the cutter, I feel like I have a lot more control with it. Uh, it's just something that, you, know, you, just, you just have to be comfortable with it. And like you said, you got to practice it. You get comfortable with it. You, so you almost self-teach yourself um, doing stuff in the mirror, kind of like getting that feel down. And then obviously, like it only took me like two weeks, but I think it's like my, my favorite pitch to throw. Yeah, we, with him, we got the cutter, and we're, uh, we did live ABs last week, right? Uh, yes. And we, I had been telling him, I was like, I love a front door cutter to a righty. I just don't see it that much. It's yeah. such an aggressive pitch. It's so late, but it's also really fun to throw. And so, like, I told him, I said, if you hit him, who cares? Like, that's our biggest thing. Like, if you miss, you can't react, who cares? And he yeah. came out, he came out first cutter inside and spotted it. And then he's sitting there laughing on the mound, going like, ah, that was fun. I'm like, no, I know, right? It's fun to throw that pitch, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome, man. It's just, it, it goes back to just, what do you believe? You know, what do you believe? What do you believe in? And just really, really sticking to that. Because you know how it goes. You become what you believe. And, if you've got a successful pitch, that's why it's so important to know the person first because too often, and it drives me crazy, is that, you know, you'll see these video reviews on social media or wherever, and they're comparing them to big leaguers. What does it – I can't even sign my same I, – I would challenge anybody listening. How many times have you guys written your name, signed your name? Thousands and thousands of times, right? And that's a, that's a skill that requires you sitting down. There's no pressure. There's not anybody on base. There's not life or death. Nobody's watching. And you can't even repeat your same signature the same way twice, even though you've done it 10,000 times. But yet we're asking you to pitch and look exactly like Tim Lipscomb. Yeah, genius. Let's do, let's do that. You can't even sign your own damn name the same way twice, but I'm sure you can repeat billions of freaking fire neuromuscular firings in under a second the same way. Oh, Timmy can. So you had said something. I, yes, thank you. I, you had said something earlier though about other coaches, about being your own coach. And I have met so many people, and I am so guilty of this, of just regurgitating the things that. We hear, and some things that I think John and I pride ourselves on is our ability to differentiate ourselves from other people, but also recognize when we are stealing from others. So can you talk more about maybe, I don't know if it's personally or just maybe what you're seeing as far as 
everybody, not everybody, many people out there are just simply spitting other information that they've heard on social media or something along those lines. I think you know what I mean. Yes. Hold on one second, guys. Hold on one second. Sure. Sorry, we can we'll be right here. Yeah, we can talk. Taylor, so I'm excited. You think your cutter's your best pitch? That's me. I didn't know that. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. All right. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. That was a door guy. That's all right. Taylor, Taylor was telling us about that he said that his uh, cutter was his best pitch, and I wanted to know because that was new information to me. And that, you know, being a cutter guy, that was kind of, you know, because when guys come in with this, you know, we, we, it sounds like our philosophy, Cast, is very similar to what he's talking about with a lot of things. Right. And we're just trying to create the nastiest version of that pitcher, you know, yes. like whatever he does, you know, and that's one of the big reasons why we need to get the Rap Soto unit is because um, we got the floor unit coming in soon. I'm super pumped about it because we, you know, we have a screen right next to the mound and the ability to do that slow motion and pair that data and that information with why the slider or the cutter is moving for what it is according to where the hand placement is on release and everything that kind of really helps our guys understand whether they're, okay, so you messed it up and it moved like this and this is your spin rate and your hand was here or there or whatever it was, you know? And so, sorry, my wife just like walked crawled under the. Yeah, she's a trooper. Here's, she's, here's, I love that girl. Here's I love the topic, that girl. and you, you mentioned this with slow motion. We're talking about video analysis and mechanics. This is something that drives me absolutely crazy. I'm not a big fan of slow motion video because it doesn't show the actual tempo and rhythm. Well, we look at both. By the way, we look at both. We do we do real time, and then we slow it down. Yeah. so we can actually see exactly what happens. But yeah, I agree with you. On keep both going. Those. Go ahead. And one thing that I found is that whenever that you're talking about shaping a new pitch we always videotape from the center field so we can actually track ball flight we're not ever we're not ever worried about mechanics because i i'm just a believer that the reason you don't throw strikes has nothing to do with your mechanics the reason you don't throw strikes is because you think it's your mechanics ah. and so what i have found is is that over and over again the guys that i would notice that watched a ton of video from the side struggled to throw strikes and the reason were was because they're they're focusing on every single movement, every single position, and those are positions we could never repeat. So their focus uh, is on the wrong things, and so that's why I'm not a fan of the slow motion side view. And during the season, we never watch video from the side. It's always from the center fielding because we want to watch ball flight and, and how the hitter reacts to the pitch. Well, I just thought of this. I, I love that you said that. It also is really hard to find good video of like that. So I was just, I literally just had this thought last night. Why do I should just quit trying to find side video because it, it's harder to find. And there's endless video from center field, endless. Yes. So it's just easier for me to give people some context from that angle. So I totally, I totally agree, Lance, too, because we get people DMing us all the time. Hey, will you check out my mechanics? And they'll send me a side view and to like go in a little bit further for what you say. And I say all the time, too, I was like, I don't know what this means because I don't know where the ball is going. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like what you were saying. Like, I think that everything that you do directly affects where the ball goes, your timing, your tempo, everything that goes with that. And so, like, um the the center field view with the with the hand and everything like we are tucked in behind them with the camera only in the window of the arm and release what we're doing with the pit to be able to help them see what their hand is actually doing with the baseball similar to kind of like how driveline does their stuff too just a little bit more diy the way we do it here but i totally agree with that all the time i said you know people send us stuff and i just say i i don't know because i don't know where it's going like i didn't your mechanics don't mean anything to me because we, like, as you probably say, with like the big leaguers, but like you can watch uh, Blake Snell throw all day. And some people would say like, that's the worst mechanics I've ever seen. But then when you see the center field view, it's 96 on the black and a blade coming right after that. And like, how in the world can you say that this is bad mechanics? And I've seen people make that argument all the time. Hello. about. It drives, it's like, I like a Ford Mustang. I like a Chevy Corvette. I like a Ford Mustang. It's like little kids arguing. It's just perception. And, and there are, there's no such thing as perfect mechanics. Perfect mechanics are the ones that you can repeat consistently, that you feel good, that can get the just perfect mechanics to me. But everybody wants to go back to me mechanics are so overrated. I can't stress that enough. I just think there's way too much. Everything is blamed on me. We're a bunch of pitching mechanics. Miss high, it's because your mechanics. My arm hurts, it's because your mechanics. My velocity is down, it's because mechanics. No, maybe it's because... You drove through McDonald's, you stayed up all night playing Fortnite, and you suck today. It has nothing to do with your mechanics. 
And it's just the stuff that we run into. Everybody wants to talk about velocity and gains. They want to talk about weighted balls and they want to talk about mechanics. Well, what about eating? What about sleeping? What about hydration? What about eliminating the stress? Because that's where it comes from. It's all from the nervous system and the brain just responding. But everybody wants to go to the body and they want to point out or highlight specific positions because this guy does it, then you do that and you can have the success of that guy. So when it comes to the mechanics, man, that's just stuff that, uh, I'm just, I, again, I think most mechanical flaws you see are man-made. It's not how it would never really naturally organize itself. And it's our emphasis on mechanics to where we've got a whole generation of pitching mechanics that they're constantly saying, how'd that one look? And the guy says, oh, that's great. Then they go to the next coach. How'd that one look? Oh, that sucks. So they're constantly changing back and forth. There's no feel. There's no awareness. And they're just constantly at the mercy of an instructor. Right. And so so I want to go back to what I my, – my question was essentially like, Maybe this is a better way to say it. What do you tell them? Because this is where I came from. I didn't have somebody like John um, until I got here. Um, I didn't have the resources like this. And the things that you're telling me, I would have eaten up. But my point is, is that I will eat up anything. And I'm just it's just occurring to me as I just turned 30 that probably my authentic, genuine, um, organic thoughts are as valuable, if not more valuable, than than by watching the people that are that have the pl- platform on social media, that have the audiences there. Because I am just extremely guilty of just if you have a platform and you have thirty thousand followers, there's a really good chance I'm going to believe what you're saying. And so most of what you're what you are saying is not what people are talking about um, in general in the industry. Would you agree with that? And then what would you say to somebody that's, I started out full time at this. I, when I was 23 years old, I said, I'm not going to have a real job. I want to be in baseball for the rest of my life. And all I have been is a sponge and I've just absorbed some things that I wish I wouldn't have absorbed as a coach. Absolutely. Social media is killing, is killing so much of pitchers because of you've got these guys that have no experience. They're just regurgitating. I call those guys parents. They're just repeating what, Polly wants a cracker set. But they're trying to, you yes, know. Yes. And uh, it's just that there's – you can just get overloaded with information. So my suggestion, and I always tell guys this, is that when you see something and maybe it's new to you, reach out and ask, well, why do you say that? Uh, well, because of this. Okay, great. But why do you say that? If you'll continue with the, the why, the why, the why – Eventually, you're going to figure out, is this right for you? Or is this guy just regurgitating information? Does he get pissed off? If he gets pissed off, obviously, you've called him and he doesn't really know how to answer that question. So his depth of knowledge might not be as deep as what we're looking for. But yeah, with social media, man, there's just so much out there that that you can get overloaded. And, And that's where it's led to is that it's so easy to push a button on Google or to search it that Kids don't trust their instincts. They feel like there's somebody always smarter than themselves. So they're always pushing that instant gratification button. And there's no trial and error for, for development. Really, that's what development's all about. It's not about eliminating failure. It's about limiting the amount of times that you fail. And with, with any and all of that, I think it starts with just asking questions, whether you're the, to me, when I'm working with a kid, I'm going to ask four times the question he's going to ask me Instead of telling him, I'm going to ask him. It's going to be more of a guided discovery process. And I think the same has to hold true for the kids, too, is to understand why. And here's a question I've got for you guys. You guys don't have kids yet, but I don't know of. But we've got we've – got Neither four do kids. I. Okay, um, we're like – all we're missing – we've got four kids. All we're missing is a wood panel station wagon, and we'd be headed off to Wally World. So that's, <laughs> that's the wheelers. But Great one reference. thing I've noticed with my kids is that – with the babies like that, they're constantly asking why. Like, there's a fire truck there. They're like, Dad, why is the fire truck there? They must have burnt down the kitchen. Why did he burn down the kitchen? They're always asking why. But at what point do kids start asking how and stop asking why? And that's really the problem. Um, they want to be told how to do it rather than the trial and error process of figuring it out on their own and why, why it works or, or starting there. I love that. I love that because I think we try to address that a little bit with – you know, a lot of the throws that we make with our guys that they're doing stuff, especially when they're doing some of our drills, we have a radar gun that give them feedback for what they trying to feel. Because we're really trying to teach them that feel. Like you do one of our K drills or you do something and then they move a certain way and then we will ask them, okay, so why did it go up right there? Or why did it go down? 
Like, why do you think, what is your opinion of that situation? Because we are trying to speak in their own personal brain language, right? Taylor, would you agree with that? That we do that a lot, with, especially with you. And it's so funny that we said yips too. And I just thought about when Taylor and I played catch for the very first time and he threw a ball. And do you remember what you said, Taylor? And where it went the very first throw? Yeah, it was like completely overpronated release through a two through a, four, a fastball change up went all the way down by my ankle and then as I caught it before I could even say hey man no big deal he immediately prefaced it with I can't ever play catch close and I was like all right hold on let's just start over here let's let's go back to the basics and let's let's talk about why you don't think you can you're a professional pitcher and you don't think you can throw the ball 20 feet let's talk about that you know yeah yeah um, here's the thing, and when we're talking about feel, we're talking about development. I think the fuel to development is contrast. I think that if I'm working on a new, like say for an example, you've got a guy that can't, he bounces the ball. Well, what I'm going to do, or a guy that comes in after the game, he struggled with missing the breaking ball high. What we're going to do, we're going to practice missing that pitch on purpose. We're going to miss it high, then we're going to go low, just so we can establish parameters for the brain to tell the difference between good or bad. And I think the problem was with feel is too often we try to tell guys what to feel rather than asking them what they feel. Because at the end of the day, it, it doesn't really matter unless they understand they can put it in their own words. Because if not, they're always going to be at the mercy of the coach and somebody else's opinion. Yeah, and I've thought this like seven times, and I just so I should say it. So I have been making this statement lately to kids. Like I feel like most people prioritize coaches, um, what they think. And I go – you need to immediately, like I need to teach, we need to teach our players to prioritize what they think and what they feel and actually believe it. So a big yeah. buy-in, I mean, that's why, that's why I was just so, those three things that you talked about, the person and the player, like that's, you have to start there because it's not about us. And that's, we don't even let kids call us coach for that reason. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. the rule I've got at Palooza, by the way, is no coach bombs. It's first name only. Forget the coach. And that's, that's well, one way. If you want to know if somebody's full of shit, they'll introduce themselves as coach to you. <laughs> I know. And, and, and again, this is coming back because I am so much of the things that you are talking about because that's, I didn't have any other influences. Right. So I thought it was weird. I mean, I have a unique name, so people often call me Cass anyway, but when I was coaching division three baseball, like they started calling me coach more often and I just let it happen because all of the people around me were letting it happen. And it didn't feel right. And then I normalized it. So one of the things that I have really been experiencing is that I was letting, you know, you talked about continuing to ask why, 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 you know, and I allowed so many red flags to be, I ignored so many red flags and I don't know because I was trying so hard and now it becomes so obvious that I actually am very, I'm, I have a very good sense of what is good and bad. And I think most people do, but they don't have a good sense of, how much they need to be listening to themselves. So absolutely trusting their instincts. Yeah. We've coached the instincts out of players. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we tell, uh, we tell a lot of our guys the same thing, especially with when, and he's the, I don't know. Is the, is the first time you hear it when I told him about the, the fine. So like, if you, I was told, you know, I've never played affiliated ball, but through some big leaguers that I played with, oh, but right. if, you, if you use the word coach, yeah to a manager or anybody right there, it's like a $10,000 fine. So, like it's so <laughs> extreme that they don't like you will be massively Taylor help me out with that is that a yeah even a, in the minor leagues yeah, yeah even in the minors if you say it like it's it's no mm -mm, we're, uh, we're start signing it you we're, start we're trying to check we're podcasting with uh Kerry Lightenberg do you know do you know him I've heard the name yeah so Kerry Lightenberg played he was the closer for the Braves in the late yeah, 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 yeah. He, he was at he worked at Nevers Larkin baseball where I um play, uh, coach in Minnesota I coach where I whatever I don't even know how to say it now I can't say coach <laughs> But he always, I always was like, hey, what's up, coach? He's like, don't call me coach. And I just kept calling him coach because I'm a douche sometimes. <laughs> but, but now that I'm hearing that, it's 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 funny because he coaches for the St. Paul Saints in the American Association. Okay, so. cool, cool. Yeah, but that's anyway. one of my roles. I always tell guys, if you've got some, if you've got somebody that shows up in your email inbox and they're referring to them in, themselves in third person as coach, please hit the unsubscribe button as quickly as you can. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we love talk, that. We talk about it all the time. So, like, I, I hate it also because that's it makes I, I, my point to it is we are all equal. We're all baseball players, and we want you to understand that like nobody is above anybody else. Like you're here, our seven year olds is just as valuable 
as our 24 year olds pro guys. You know, like we just want you to understand that we're here to help you as best as we can in our best way. So we don't want you to feel like that you are have to do it a certain way or it's not like we were trying to get you to feel what we were trying to get. That's what I love that. Can you, um, what do you think about us having everything radar gun? Do you do that? Is that something that you agree with or what are your thoughts on having a radar gun on display at all times? Because many people have come at us on this and we feel strongly about it, but want to hear your opinion. Oh, absolutely. Sooner or later, you're going to be judged by the gun, whether you like it or not. And usually the people that don't like the gun are the guys that don't throw hard. Um, so Wait, that, that's it. Should we just stop right there? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that was a great answer. That was a phenomenal Sorry. answer. Yeah, oh, and to me, like, especially with the younger kids, like with my little boy, he just turned nine a couple of days ago. And I've never given him one piece of instruction, never one cue ever, simply because I, I know what it does to the body and the perception. So, with him, it was always about the intent. So the first thing that we had him do was when he was about two, he would take, we took this redneck swimming pool from Walmart. You know, those things you fill up in the water and oh, some yeah. guys will have bush light or whatever in it. But uh, we had him throwing rocks at it, trying to break it. And then when he was about four, we would break out the radar gun and we would make it like a game because whenever he would throw it harder, we would write it on the wall like a video game. So every time he'd throw the ball, he would try to throw it hard. So I, were, I was trying to develop his patterns from the outside in. And that's what you're going to see is that guys that try to throw hard are going to have the patterns to throw the ball hard later, whereas so many guys want to think, hey, this is a skill game. So they, they focus on the strike and you start, you know, the strike zone, they start to create these linear pushing patterns because they're rewarded for success early. But then later on, they don't have the patterns to be able to throw the ball hard. So to me, it's about ability before skill. And once they've got that level of ability, it's pretty easy to add skill to it. Um, so I'm a big believer in the radar gun. And to me, man, that's going to be the player's best coach for so many. Perceived effort is what we really like to say with it. Like whatever you are doing, like we were saying about the K-Droll and the other things that we do with stuff, is it's like how do you think you are moving and then what is the actual feedback yes. from you? You know, and a lot of times that when we have our guys do our drills or – you know, and, and they do stuff, you know, Taylor's a big, you know, uh, he, he's very quiet when he gets into it. And I love that because he's, that just means he's inside his head trying to sure. feel, figure out, get things going on things. And, you know, sometimes I'll throw with him too and, and we'll go back and forth on stuff and, and I'll, and, and I'm trying to verbalize what's going on in my head. So he knows what I'm thinking. Where like, if we do a, a short box off the edge of the mound or, or we do shovel fires or whatever we're doing, I'll immediately say like, Ooh, I didn't like that. That didn't feel good. Or I felt like it, I was early or, you know, just trying to help him understand what's going on in my head. Not necessarily that he has to copycat the language just so he understands that I'm processing immediately when the ball leaves my hand. And I'm trying to be like, I liked it. I didn't. Or did you see that? Did you like, what did you see? Like things like that, trying to get him to understand that like, Hey, we throw differently, but we also don't throw differently. You know what I mean? Oh man, that's, that's great. And here's something that I really love about that. You said you mentioned that you could feel it out of your hand. Well, I grew up in Kentucky. So basketball is religious. Kind of like in Southern California, have, how you have to have a dog out in Kentucky, you have to play basketball. So we grew up playing basketball constantly. And the only time we played baseball is when we didn't have, you know, we, we didn't have enough for, we couldn't find a basketball game. So with basketball, Right away, how many of you guys out of you three, as soon as you shoot it, can you feel the difference between it's good or bad? You know as soon as it leaves your hand. Do you guys know that? Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in the South. Why is that, you think? Because well, you're thinking about your hand and your shot. What else do you think? I'm terrible at basketball. I'm the worst <laughs> I'm a hockey player. This is a bad question for me. You think, and most guys are going to say because of reps, but you really think about basketball and – how rich it is in sensory feedback. Number one, there's one, and this is why basketball, you have to make your throwing program like basketball. In basketball, there's one clear goal, physically and literally. Even the cheerleaders know what you're shooting at. The coaches know. Everybody's on the same page with one clear goal. So as you start to shoot, you get immediate feedback. You see whether it went in. You either win or you lose on that throw. You either win or you lose on that shot. There is no, unless it gets caught up in the rim, it just sticks there, right? So you see, you get immediate feedback, you get the visual feedback, you got the sound of 
and nothing but net or that cover your head. Break. I want to know the guy that said, hey, what about the ball that gets stuck there? Because, right, did somebody just try to come at you against that analogy? Yes, yes, yes. But like always. True, that no guy. Doubt. No doubt. They're that guy. So with always that guy. There's always got that, that guy. You've got that one clear goal. You can see it. You get the results immediately. You can hear it. And so that's how our brain processes everything is we've got a clear intention and then we're gathering the feedback of what we see and what we hear. And because of that, you start to associate the feel of it leaving your fingers based on your prior results. So that's why you can feel it. It's the same way it's got to be with pitching. Have one clear goal, give immediate feedback. And that's why guys that struggle with command, one of my favorite things to do is put a loud sound to it. Because anytime there's a loud sound, the brain's going to grab its attention and so it works almost like echo radar to where it starts to track oh, back where it left your that's, in time that, that's the command trainer th concept yes no no no, no. tell we me more we we don't use the command trainer we'll we'll actually use pie pans and we'll use anything loud and one of my favorite things especially for younger to try to break something um whether it's glass whether no matter what it is because it's fun and i always said the best bullpens are going to be the ones where you go down to the bullpen or out on the side and you take maybe a big bottle and you take different rocks and softballs and you guys are out there competing. You're trying to break the bottle. Every rock's going to be a little bit differently. So if I'm missing high with the rock, I'm not going to think, uh, reach out, get extension. I'm just going to throw it lower. If I miss to the right, I'm going to aim to the left. So it takes the thinking out of it. You're competing. You're throwing it hard because who wants to be the guy that hits the bottle it doesn't break so you're doing everything you're focused you're competing you're throwing hard to a spot you're getting feedback you're making adjustments and the best thing is is that you're going to see that a lot of guys their delivery will work better because if you put a, a baseball in their hand they go back to that learned association of what they're supposed to do and as soon as you put a rock in their hand there's no learned association so the body naturally takes over so you'll start to see more efficient mechanics and that i'm so glad you're saying that so i'm going to bring personally again but I, these are some of the things, Lance, that I was doing right when I started doing instruction. Like, that was one of the first things intuitively I knew that. Like, why are you missing high? And Or, like, how do you not miss high is maybe how I would say it. And, and they would give me some ridiculous answer. I'm just like, why don't you just throw it lower? And, yeah. and I have been saying those things less because I've been worried about what other people in the industry are doing. And if I just rely on what actually makes sense to me as a human being and as a player, those have always been where my best coaching, you know, what my best coaching has always come from that. So I know this is a little bit personal, but I know that coaches are going to be watching this. Um, and my goodness, I, I am so excited to hear some of the things that you're saying. So. Yeah, it's, it's just it. I mean, we live in the age now to where the, the if I can confuse the hell out of you, wow, I must really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and that's what we do. We try to beat people over the head with these science sticks. And it's just crazy. I see some of this stuff out there and, it, and it's just it's just not right. Um, but again, it just goes back to that over coaching. And if I speak in a way that you don't understand, wow, I must be really good at what I do, because if it were that simple, you wouldn't need my help. So I better confuse the hell out of you. I love that. I love, he and I go over like our language all the time and what we're saying. And I feel like we're like a puzzle piece that kind of goes together with a lot of things that we go over and, and go through stuff. And yeah. we constantly like there's constantly times where we see something and we'll start talking and he'll use this language and I'll use my language. And we're like separate from what's going on with things. And we got to go time out. We got to put this into the meeting because there's a concept that we need to discuss or phrasing that somebody said was something on their own fields. And we're like, OK, we just need to talk about this at another time for what we're doing, but we don't want the athlete to get confused because, you know, especially with feel that you talk about and when we go with the, with our radar gun and a lot of our drills, like we want them to process what they're doing. So we have them throw in multiple in groups, you know, two, three, four, five, but we want them to be thinking about it, you know, and then, you know, we want, we keep asking them these questions, you know, there's three questions we go over after each throw. How did it feel? Was it fast? Did it go where you want to? You know, and if you can get and if all, the first ones, no, yeah, nothing else matters. Yeah. If any, if, like any if any of those, if any of those are a no, if any of them, right. Or a no, then that wasn't necessarily a rep that you liked on any pitch that you're doing, you know? Because well, like yesterday I had one of my hardest throws when I was throwing and it felt like shit. And I'm like, Hey, you just saw the radar gun. It was a straight throw. It went where I wanted to go, but my shoulder exploded when I did it. 
Like you guys don't see that and coaches don't see that. So it's, if I didn't tell you that you would have no idea. So it is your job as the player to recognize that and be honest with yourself and tell us. And we, it takes us a long time to create that barrier with a lot of our kids, especially we had a new client, uh, break, down, break down the barrier. Yeah. Yeah. Break down the barrier. The new client, um, yesterday, the, you know, little 10 year old lefty came in and, um, you know, just ask him a, a simple question. Hey, uh, how did that feel? Did you like it or did you not? And he said, well, I don't really know. And I said, okay, well, can you do it again? And I think he hit like 50 or 51 or something on like a shuffle fire. And I said, do you think you could try to do it better or like your best rep that you could, however you think you could. And so he goes out there and then obviously gets tighter and, and throws it slower. And then the ball goes up, you know? And I said, okay, do you feel like that felt like the same as it did on the throw before that? And he said, no, it, it felt slow. And I said, well, do you feel like you squeezed your muscles in order for you to try to move stronger? And, and he said, yes. And I said, okay, so there, there's a little bit of a feel problem. The, the tightness does not create fast. You have to be able to stay loose. And for what we talk about is move your hands just a little bit faster with your body in order to create that speed. And then he ended up from 50 and ended at 55. I love that process. And, and that's, that's what I've always found. And one common denominator that I've found with the coaches that I really respect and look up to is the best coaches are your questionnaires. They're not your know-it-alls. They're the guys who are just constantly asking questions. you got Scott Brown, Derek Johnson, uh, Tony Robichaux, uh, goodness gracious, uh, James Ogden at Lipscomb. But all those guys, it's the one thing they have in common, Nate Yeski, is that they're constantly asking their players questions. And we use a four-step process, and FEEL is actually an acronym. It stands for Focus, Explore, Eliminate, Learn. And so the first one is, what are you trying to do? What are your intentions? So, and I think that's why with video analysis, it's impossible to review video unless you're asking questions. It's, yeah. You just don't know what they're trying to do, so you exactly. don't know if they did it or not. Totally. How do you know if you made the shot if you don't know where you were shooting? It's, it's you know, it's, it's very common for me. It's almost like you're, you're shooting at a basketball goal with no nets, and you've got the coach under, underneath it saying, hey, did that one go in? Yeah, I think so. It's kind of, there's just no feedback. So with ours, focus is number one. What are you trying to do? So we establish the goal. And then from there is explore, like, how are you can do it? If I'm working on a cutter, well, on this one, I'm going to put my thumb here. On this one, I'm going to put my middle finger just under the seam. I might take a pen and write that spot down. And so I've got the focus. What are you trying to do? How are you going to do it? And then we start to eliminate what didn't work. Well, that didn't work. That sucked. All right, let's start it back over. What are you going to try to do? I'm going to try to cut the ball. How are you going to do it? Well, this time I'm going to put my thumb here. All right, throw it. How did that work? Oh, that worked. All right, so we just learned. We moved to the fourth one. We just learned something with that association. So now we're going to take it like jambalaya, and we're going to add another little ingredient into it until we create a learned association or feel for that pitch. I love that. Do you guys know what jambalaya is? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Heard of it? Heard of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, a little southern. southern yeah, I'm with you. Okay. BJ, by the way. BJ's I, I have one last thing. We have about five minutes. We got to get training guys at 11. Um, I would love to do this again, by the way, because, oh, oh my goodness. Up. Hey, we're, yeah, we're in Huntington. We're, we're coming up soon. Soon. All right, so we'll, we'll chat with you. I didn't know. I didn't realize you were this close. I knew the southern accent, so I assumed the south. <laughs> I didn't realize you were an hour and 15 north. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> we get this all the time and we don't get it from our college guys because they know what the heck they're, they know what they're seeing. They know what they're experiencing. So this is a lot more for our younger players. We have a lot of people, especially between that, you know, nine years old to 13 years old that feel that they need privacy. And we just don't feel that's the best thing. For many reasons, but Say I want to know. There, could you repeat that? They're working on that. I didn't hear what. Yeah, you it's okay. So essentially, yeah. I'm just saying. Can you talk about the idea of how 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 should we create this environment? A lot of people, especially our younger players, their parents are looking for private instruction, and I, I can see where they're. I can understand the argument, but there is a reason why we do small group instruction. Um, it's financial, but. It, but a lot that's that's such a small part of it. It is not financial. It is primarily because I just don't see the private instruction happening in the world. Like you don't go and you don't have a job and you don't have somebody just one on one with you the whole time. It's just not real to me. Um, do you have opinions on how kids should be consuming this content and how should it be in a one to one setting? Should it be in a group setting? 
I hope you know what I'm asking. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I prefer the group setting because it's just a learning experience, man. You're seeing what others are doing. You're able to ask others questions on how they're doing it. But I think with it, it creates more of a synergy. Also, it allows you to compete, which raises the, the intensity in the room. And, and like you said, that's just how life is. But yeah, I, I really like the groups. The one-on-one, -on -one, I think those kids get so rely, reliant. That's on my groups. biggest argument right there. Yeah, they do. They do. And they're just waiting for feedback on every throw to let you know if that made the goal or not. So, and then what those guys do that, that really like the private instruction, they'll go to you. Then they'll go to another guy that has a yep. totally different opinion. Now they're like, well, where do I start? He said this, he said that. And so that's that I'm with you right there. 100% as far as the group instruction is the way to go. And that's how I've always done it. And, and what we see also too, is like, if in a group setting, we can have a kid throw a ball and then we don't say anything because we want to see if he's going to fix it on the next one on his own. And then he's going to watch the next kid throw, watch that guy throw or whatever is going on. And then we may say something to him or we may not just depending, you know, on what we're saying or even applaud him. Hey, great throw. Can you do that again or something like that? And, but in a private one-on-one -on -one setting, there's been many a times because I did it that way too until I transitioned, I don't know, probably a year ago with stuff. And if you don't say anything on one throw, now we have this awkward silence between the parent, the player, and everything from there. And now you feel obligated to say something. Otherwise, the way we have, we're at the gym, we're at a gym, and there's loud music. There is, they, everybody has to kind of talk. But you can see, like you were saying, the synergy. I like that word of, of the yeah. group setting, especially with like our pro guys and our college guys, where like Taylor's one of our most talented arms that we have in there. And these college guys are literally talking about him while he's throwing. And that's where we see like, oh, wow, look at what he's kind of doing here differently than what I'm doing. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. Because what you're, what you're creating with that one-on-one -on -one is they're just so addicted to coaching that as a coach, they're just waiting on every throw for you to tell them to make some type of an adjustment. Because if you don't say anything, they think you're not coaching. So whenever you get it in a, in a group like that, you start to take some of that away. But then they see other guys and nobody wants to be the beta male. Everybody wants to be the alpha male. And so – that also starts to create a better understanding of intent to try to throw hard or, or doing something else because they don't want to be the last man in the room. I, I appreciate everything. We, Dude, we gotta, is, we gotta end it right now. This has been unbelievable, Lance. I just, but, it's amazing for really what the information that you've been putting out there. And I can't wait to get up there in Huntington. Taylor, you want to add anything in there? I mean, it's my first podcast with the, with some great baseball minds and everything. And uh, I mean, that's, I enjoyed listening to everything you had to offer, so I appreciate that. Well, appreciate it, guys. Yeah, this is fun, man. Just, just let me know. I'd love to have you guys up here. Oh, for sure. We'll definitely a thousand percent be up there, especially since an hour. I'm sure Taylor will tag along too, if, right? If so people like, want to know more about you, I subscribe to your email. Can you tell us um, more ways to to find more about you? Yeah, yeah. You can go to baseballthinktank.com and just enter your email there. I'm on Twitter at Lance Wheeler, and now it's spelled differently. It's L A N T Z. Nobody's ever spelled my name right the first time. So, um, and then that Instagram on at Lance Wheeler 25. Got it. We'll be posting it on our social media after we get everything put together. Um, so be looking at that for on our pages. So. Okay. Can't thank you enough, Lance. It's really nice to meet you. I can't wait to shake your hand in person. Um, could you tell us, uh, you run the baseball think tank too, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so when when is the next one on that? Where is it? How can they get the information? I'm sure it's on your website. Yeah, that's on the website. And then you're referring to Pitchapalooza, which Pitchapalooza, is yes. Yeah, that's the seminar I hold each December. Um, and and you know, it was attended last year by all but one major league baseball organization. I think we had over five hundred coaches. But the cool part about that is number one, you're not allowed to introduce yourself as coach. You're not allowed to wear any sweater vests or softball visors. <laughs> it's just about a group of guys that go for literally four days long. They're just talking baseball the entire time. That's awesome. That's brilliant. That's awesome. Dude. Sweater vests. So when's, when's the next one? It will be in DC, the second week of December in Nashville. In, oh, it's in Nashville. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Right so. before ABCA. Yeah. Yes. It's a couple weeks before ABCA and one week always the the – one week prior to the MLB winter meetings. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. That's awesome. All right, well, we got another thing on the calendar. So, all right, well, that's great. Lance, like I said, I appreciate it. Everybody go out, follow Lance. Awesome baseball mind. Didn't realize he was in Huntington, so we will definitely be up there real soon. That's not even that far away. Um, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our apparel and the other stuff. And if you want to learn how to throw hard with either Lance or us, definitely come over and do it. 
Um, oh, and I la- we'll talk about that on another time. But Casey Mize, like, great job, like, man, phenomenal. Like, and I'll be the first to say I had absolutely nothing to do with that. I've worked with Casey a few times, and his, one of his friends, Gunnar Leje, which is to me probably the best college pitcher I've ever seen. But and he's just one of those guys that. He just competes in empty rooms, man. He's going to do it, whatever it's got to take. He's just a unique individual. And you know what? He's going to have a the, – he's, he's the, the best way to put it this way, he's got a Verlander arm with a character of Gandhi. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's, that's great to hear. It's always good to see good baseball people that put in the work and then can really get to it. And it's not like, you know, people that know that this is not a luck process. Like I've, I've never met a lucky pitcher that has made it to the show. Like I've played with a ton of lucky pitchers who throw 105 pitches in four innings and give up no runs, but I've never met one that it's actually made it to the big leagues. So have you ever, have you noticed this? the worst pitchers always have the worst coaches and the worst students always have the worst teachers. I just still can't figure that out. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, man. We really appreciate it. Guys, don't forget. Keep doing your stuff. Let us know if you have any questions about anything. Don't forget, last thing, throw hard. All right. Thank you very much.